Hello, Alberto Saldana. Hello. I have invited you to my office to discuss with you about population models. So maybe a good starting point would be if you explain um, what population models can um, take into account. So uh, what are the variables and how are they put together and uh, what's possible to explain? Okay, sure. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for the invitation. I'm very happy to be here. This is the first time I'm in a podcast. So, <laughs> well, uh, Lotka Volterra models, which is the topic I studied during my PhD thesis, is um, it's an, as a parabolic system of equations. It takes into account a diffusion rate, which is how fast uh, the two species uh, disperse through a, through a, through a region. Then they also take into account the birth rate, so how often do they reproduce, some concentration rate, because if you have too many, uh, too many individuals of a species at some point, then there is not enough resources, so they start dying. This is also in taken into account in the model. And then you also have what I call an aggressiveness rate, because I am considering competitive Lotka Volterra models at this point. So we have two different species which are fighting between them for some resource, And then uh, we have this aggressiveness coefficient, which, which will tell you yeah, how, how much are they going to fight between each other. Uh, this is a system of two equations. Let's consider for the moment two. And they will tell us, starting from an initial condition, how they evolve through time, taking into account these, these three things, birth, concentration, and aggressiveness. And what would be a typical question which could be answered with that? Well, usually you have three scenarios. Either one of the two populations win, and then the other one uh, is, is like the, the, the winning one. Or well, one win, the other win, these are two scenarios, and the other one is both survive, which is what we call the coexistence state. So first of all is the question about if they coexist or not. Now, if they do coexist, the question is, asymptotically, as time goes to infinity, what is the shape that they will have. And this is what I studied. I was uh, trying to prove, I actually give conditions under which this happens, that uh, they will separate between each other in a symmetrical way. At the end, they, will go they are going to be what we call uh, foliated Schwarz symmetric, but putting more simply, is actual symmetry together with some monotonicity properties with respect on dipolar points. Mm. But this means that you really have a certain domain as a domain which they have to share. That's, that's correct. This analysis, this symmetry analysis is done only on radial domains. So let's say balls, but we also allow annually. Mm -hmm. And then uh, one uses, mathematically one uses a model um, technique called the moving plane method. So in, in a non-standard way. So the moving plane method is a technique which was created for elliptic problems, on balls, for positive solutions. And then you would uh, start moving some, some, some planes and using some linearizations of the equations to prove this kind of symmetry, which is radial. At the end, you will have that your solutions of some elliptic problems are going to be radial and monotone decreasing. What I did was adjust this technique to treat the case of parabolic systems. And the technique I, I adjusted allowed also annually, which was one of the novelties in, in, in my work. Mm. So I, I forget to say something important about uh, the model, and is that I am considering, as I, I was saying, balls are annually, so this means bounded domains. And bounded domains, 
require boundary conditions. So in order to have well-posedness. So I considered Neumann and Dirichlet boundary conditions. And this is something I like very much because uh, you really can see what the, what the boundary condition means. So in the case of Neumann, it's prescribing that the normal derivative is zero at the boundary. And this in the model can be interpreted as having a fence. Mm -hmm. That means that I always like to think this in terms of wolves. So if you have two different species of wolves that are fighting for food, then they cannot go out of the compound and they cannot get, other wolves cannot get in as well. The other boundary conditions that one can consider is a Dirichlet boundary condition, which means that the population density is zero at the boundary of the domain. And well, maybe this has a more dramatic interpretation like an electrified fence or something that if they go there and touch it, they will die, or maybe a cliff also. Well, both are important from a mathematical point of view. In the case of elliptic equations, these boundary conditions uh, give rise to very different qualitative behavior. So it's a relevant question to ask in, under these two different boundary conditions if the symmetries are the same, are preserved, or to which extent. And um, if you say you are treating this in parabolic um, domains or for parabolic problems, uh, which is kind of the same thing in different words, this means uh, you have an elliptic problem which develops in time from an initial condition. And what would be a typical initial condition which is interesting to study? Well, in this, in this regard, we allow very general initial conditions. So we were saying only uh, continuous functions. Any two continuous functions which will model an initial... Which means no jumps in the density of the that, population. That, right. Uh, this will model the initial profile, the initial density. And in order to have our symmetry results, we need to have a condition on these initial conditions. It's what we call a reflectional symmetry. And in the model, one can interpret this as that one of the species was a little bit more concentrated on a half domain than the other. So you would have all your wolves there, and maybe on one half, there was a little bit more of wolf type A. So, but in, in, this, in this regard, the, the class of initial conditions was very general. And um, how do these differences in the boundary condition express themselves? Well, um, first of all, mathematically, the techniques that you need to use are very, very different. Because if you're using Neumann, for example, then you can use some kind of reflection. Neumann allows you to reflect the solution and still have, a, have it in a weak sense. And then you can use this together with the method to make some perturbations. And this is a way to, to, to deal with this case. Now, the Dirichlet is a little bit more delicate. You cannot reflect in the same way. And then you need uh, some other, other uh, techniques like uh, sub-solutions, and something that's called the Serin's boundary point lemma. And these are other kind of elements that you use in this proof. Now, all, aside from the technical differences, my, my results prove that in both cases you will have the same kind of symmetry, which is that asymptotically, the two species will divide, will separate, and at the end they will be actual symmetric functions. With respect to points. Now, you mentioned something. You mentioned that These systems are elliptic equations evolving through time. And yes, indeed, in a way. Now, the line becomes a lot thinner if you allow that this birth rate, this concentration rate, and the aggressiveness rate start depending on time. 
this was also one of the novelties in, in, in the work that I was doing, which is that uh, if you allow time dependence there, then the possible dynamics in time are, are going to be very complex. Are, are more, they allow more behaviors. And this is important because with this dependence, with this time dependence, you can model, for example, seasons. It's more or less natural to think that one wolf would like to mate in spring, for example, and the other one maybe in spring. So then your births will change according to, 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 where, to where you are during the year. Also the same for concentration and aggressiveness. So we think that this was an important add to the model. Yes, but of course one could also think that uh, the model describes more something like um, um, like everything is uh, during the year, kind of. You are not interesting how it's in March and April, mm -hmm. but kind of an, in, an intermediate value for, for the year yes. that you only see if in the limit something is changing, so to say, for a long time. Correct. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's, that's correct. Yeah, but of course it could also be interesting to see if some... Um, Uh, bounds which you would like to have are violated uh, during the time when the birth rates are high or something like that. This could be a different question to the model. Well, regarding boundedness of solutions, yeah. in this case, since you have a concentration term, it, this is telling you that your solutions cannot be very big. I mean, we're in a classical setting. In, in any case... Um, We are, for, for, for our theorem, we were assuming a priori that the solution was global and uniformly bounded. Global means it exists for all time and everywhere. That's right, and uniformly bounded means that you can have a bound for all times. And we were also assuming that we will have a equicontinuity of the orbit. This was an important assumption in, in the, during the proofs. But the good thing is that if you have nice coefficients, so if the birth, the concentration, and the aggressiveness are, let's say, Hilder continues, then you have all the regularity you want from, from parabolic regularity. Yeah. Of course, it's always the question if you are kind of um, making the arguments inside mathematics, like uh, I have the feeling you are just doing now, because if you are speaking about Hilder continuous coefficients and then you have a global solution, you are thinking about the development in the equation or in the system of the equations, yes. That's right. And uh, the, the other way would be to see if uh, the model um, for everyday life would be like that, so that you can expect everything to be as smooth as necessary. It would be very nice, yeah, actually, to see what kind of, of coefficients would rise from actually looking at reality and taking that into the model. Yeah, so far I haven't had the chance to, <laughs> to, to apply this to a population, but that would be very nice, or to see other models for it. But I, I think. The Lotka Volterra is, is one of the most popular, most, most used in this population dynamics model. Yes. Why do you think it's so popular? Well, first of all, I think it's a simple model. So it's a model that you can actually study, that you can prove symmetry results for them, existence, regularity. Uh, also, I think it's paradigmatic in a way. So the things that you can say about this model will maybe hold... If you perturb a little bit the equation, it doesn't matter. What you prove for the very simplified model still holds. So as a way of having an intuition, I think this is why this is very, it's very popular. Yeah, but this is probably also very much connected to the fact that it's linear. Well, um, so the differential part is linear, but for example, the concentration part 
is nonlinear. Here, so if I, one of the equations would be, for example, ut, which is the growing rate, is a time derivative. You have minus Laplacian u, which is the term that relates to the diffusion. On the right-hand side of the equation, so you have equal to, then you have the birth coefficient, let's say a1 times u1, and then comes the concentration, which is the nonlinear part. Let's say plus b u1 squared, mm -hmm. minus minus b1 u squared. The minus means that it's going against you. And then you have minus alpha u1 times u2, which is the competitive part. We also have a minus, means that it goes against the growing rate. And then, uh, yeah, this, this part here, which is also called the coupling, it's a very important part of the equation. Here we have a minus, meaning that it's competitive. If we had a plus, it would be cooperative in both equations, right? As I was saying, it's a system of two equations. So if you have a minus in both equations, it's competitive. You have a plus in both equations, it's cooperative. You have a plus and a minus, it's called a predator-prey model. And this is, this is more complicated. And I would also like to say that if you have two pluses, that means the cooperative case, then you have the case of a symbiotic, symbiotic two species. So then they like to be together because one is giving the other what, what it needs. So... In symbiotic cases, there is also a symmetry characterization asymptotically as t goes to infinity. And in this case, you can prove that uh, they are foliated short symmetric, so actually symmetric, but now they concentrate with respect to the same point. They are not getting segregated, but together. So as I wish, <laughs> it's kind of a happy ending. It's a happy ending, yeah, yeah. In this case... No one, no, one, no one dies, unless they don't have enough food. Then it can happen that one of the species dies. Mm. But at least the other survives. Um, what is a question which you would like to answer and can't answer at the moment? Wow. So many. There's so many, exactly. <laughs> It's just the expression in your eyes was like so many. But uh, for me, it was always a mystery what can be said about these predator-prey models. Because the dynamic there is a lot more, more, more complex. So they, 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 you have kind of oscillating behavior with the let's say wolves and rabbits, wolves are always chasing the rabbits and it is not clear. So if, if the rabbits then decrease a lot, the wolves need, they don't have enough food. So then they also decrease and the rabbits can go back. And I was always wondering asymptotically, is there any conditions under which you will have some symmetry? And after studying this question, I only managed to describe very partial answer in very simple situation, which is, If one of the species asymptotically die, the other one is asymptotically radially symmetric, which is what you, what you would expect. So in, let's say that there are no wolves anymore, there is no one eating the rabbits, well, then they can conquer the whole compound. And I'm always thinking of radially symmetric compounds, so they will, they will spread radially. But this was all, thing, all, all I could say. Okay, but this sounds like the easiest case. Yes. Yeah, yeah, almost trivial, almost trivial. <laughs> yeah, but it would be very nice to, to say something about the case when they are both active, interacting. Other, other question that would be interesting is, what happens if you have more populations? So here we are only considering Lotke Volterra for two species in the competitive case. If you have three, four, five Do they, are they still uh, actually symmetric, but then with respect to different points in the, in the ball or in an annulus? And um, yeah, for, for, for instance. 
So when you decided to become a mathematician, um, did you expect um, to be an expert for population models at some <laughs> point in your career? Well, the funny thing is that uh, I actually studied actuarial sciences as my bachelor. Okay. So I, it's, it's, a, it's a story that I wanted to study physics, actually. For me, physics was always amazing and black holes and the universe was something that I really wanted to study. But my parents didn't like the idea of me becoming a physicist. They, they were thinking that there are no many jobs for them. So they convinced me to study actuarial sciences. And this career in Mexico is very close to mathematics. So actually, half of all the, all the topics are the same. So I, that's what I did. I studied actuarial, actuarial sciences. And then all the optional part of the topics that you can choose, I put them all in analysis. And that's how I got interested in analysis and PDEs. Then I studied my master. But it was always about the, the equation. And we never really, uh, during, during my ma bachelor and master, we never really put that much interest in the models, which is a pity. Mm -hmm. There's, now I know there are so many models about population dynamics, traffic models, um, phase transitions. The, the things that PDE model are so rich that it's a pity that you don't get to know this as a motivation when you are younger yeah when you are younger you just uh, see the equations and get the mathematical tools how to find something out about the equations yes yeah that's right that's right i think maybe someday in the future mathematics will be taught directly from the model so you would have a very interdisciplinary thing that this is the model how are we going to that just some toy model to describe this and then students will be able to, to see all the links in real world and applications. I think this is the key to a very successful education, but I know it's not easy. Yes, because it's very difficult to plan how things will turn out mm -hmm. for everybody, even for the students. That's right. Because all the students, they like to have a bit of security to know what they have to expect, what they have to learn and what will be asked in the exam and so on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I still think that it could be very fun. Yeah, maybe not as a curricular thing, but maybe there should be also like workshops in this regard. Uh, give them the opportunity to experience firsthand science in this way. Yeah, because science, in my opinion, is not about the final results. It's not about the theorem. It's not about the, the fact that what, what's the, um, the, the, yeah, the, the, the theory at the end. Science is about the process. It's about fighting with a problem, struggling with it, trying a lot of things, not working until at one point you see one idea that mediumly worked and then you go through that, through that direction. That's science and that's something that young people don't, don't experience that much. That's a pity. Yeah, I agree completely. <laughs> Because this was what um, brought me to mathematics was the struggle with interesting questions. Mm -hmm. And I missed that at school. And also when you enter university, it takes a while until you find the point where you uh, are faced with interesting questions. Because you only get answers. Answers to questions you didn't have. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. Although it's simpler problems. You, you, are, you never have the result you want. Yeah, that's, that's a good thing in a way, sometimes. Because it, it, it's a motor to, to go on, right? You always have something to look forward to. Yeah. So you did your master's also in Mexico? My master's in Mexico. Then I did my PhD in Frankfurt, 
Frankfurt University. Oh, so very near to Karlsruhe. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that brought the connection to here? or No, then I did a um, postdoc in, in, well, I'm currently doing my first postdoc in Brussels. And my postdoc ends in July. So uh, I am considering making a scholarship application to come here to Karlsruhe for a second postdoc. Okay, that's nice to hear. Then we can do a lot about population models. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, no, I was just only asking because we have strong connections to people doing PDEs in Frankfurt. We have this uh, common seminar each year. And Indeed. Non-linear well. PDEs. Yeah, yeah. PDE days. Yeah, that's why I was like, Frankfurt? <laughs> you're right. You're Tells right. me a story. Yeah, I, I actually, during, during my years of PhD, I get to know all the professors in analysis and PDEs from Karlsruhe, Köln, and Gießen. Mm, yeah. Which are the, the institutions which participate in this non-linear PDE day. So how did you end up in Brussels? Well, um, I'm working in Brussels with Denis Bonheur, who I think was also one of the participants in this in this podcast earlier, and he's a collaborator of Tobias and we, Tobias. Sorry, Tobias Vett is my PhD advisor, and we we discussed about the possibility of a postdoc, and he just had some new project for studying phase transitions. So I was one of the applicants for this one of these positions, and I got it. So that's how I started working in Brussels on phase transition models. So, and it's, it's only the mathematics which brings you to Europe, or is there only the mathematics? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, mathematics in a broad sense. I was really interested on in seeing if it was really that different mathematical education in Europe, if. Um, also, the fact that Europe is so well connected in a way. It's very easily you can go from one institute to the other, and there are so many things going on. And I really wanted to, to have a closer look at these dynamics. And I, so far, I'm very, very happy with it. It's an amazing world full of dynamical, dynamic, very rich dynamics in mathematics. So maybe we are also kind of a population in cooperative <laughs> mode. <laughs> Yes, and you right. can can make a case cooperative study. population. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, thank you very much that you took the time to speak to me during your visit here. And so maybe we can continue the conversation when you end up that staying apart. That would be very very nice. Yeah, I think so. Okay, thanks a lot.